Welcome to the Love Your Life Podcast. My name is Stephanie. I'm a health and life coach, fitness enthusiast, entrepreneur, and a triathlete's wife. I am here to share my tips to help you create harmony on all aspects of your life, health, career, spirituality, relationships, and personal development. Every week, you will be inspired to create a life you love and deserve. So last week's episode, we talked about the different phases of your hormonal cycle. And at the end of it, I mentioned that this week, we were going to have a special guest, Dr. Madrid, who is coming on to talk about PCOS and if you can actually have solutions to PCOS. Because a lot of times people are given that diagnosis and the only solution that they are ever given is to actually get on some kind of synthetic uh, hormones, and that's not always the solution. So there are natural ways to actually combat PCOS. And if you know someone or if you yourself are battling with PCOS, you definitely want to tune in to this episode because you will find it immensely, immensely beneficial for you. I hope you enjoy today's episode and welcome Dr. Madrid to our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Madrid, for coming on to the show today to talk to my podcast listeners about PCOS and how it impacts the woman's body. I'm so excited to have you on to dive deep into this discussion that's near and dear to my heart and to a lot of my clients' hearts. Absolutely. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me. I'm very happy to be here, and uh, I look forward to uh, our conversation here and uh, and different ways we can approach uh, those with PCOS and different ways we can help uh, those uh, alleviate a lot of their symptoms and get back to a state of wellness. Awesome. So can you tell our podcast listeners a little bit more about yourself um, so that they can have a good understanding of your background before we dive into this topic? Absolutely. So I'm a board certified family physician. I've been practicing. I, I graduated from medical school in 2002. And I actually went to, I think you guys up in Michigan there may refer to it as the school down south. I went to the Ohio State University School of Medicine. Ah. And, uh, but, <laughs> right? I'm glad, maybe, uh, I'm glad maybe you still invited me on the show knowing that information. Yes, I'm a, I'm a Michigan State <laughs> person. So that's, that's um, yeah. hard. <laughs> hard. It, 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 it's nice that we can come together yes. for the benefit of, uh, of our uh, you know, patients and listeners out there. And, uh, but I did my undergrad at uh, UCLA. I, I grew up in Southern California. As I mentioned, I'm a board-certified family physician. I've also uh, done training in functional medicine and in integrative and holistic medicine. So that's kind of the approach that I take with a lot of my patients. And really, when I'm treating patients in my clinic here in Southern California, I really try to uh, encourage them to seek wellness and to try to restore balance and to try to minimize use on uh, prescription and pharmaceutical drugs. you know, those are really should be for a last resort or really only uh, used when um, other lifestyle approaches are unable to accomplish the goals that we're trying to accomplish. You are a doctor near and dear to my heart. I have <laughs> talked about that numerous of times. Uh, my background, for those of you who are first time listening, I used to um, do a lot of things in politics prior to that while I was actually going to school for undergrad and um political science and getting my master's in public administration, I worked at a physical therapy place and the guy who owned it used to be a pharmaceutical rep. So he definitely taught me all the ways of kind of like lobbying in a way, um, which I learned how to do a little bit more when I was going to grad school um, and learning how to become a lobbyist, but how to lobby with the doctors and get a lot of the, um, get a lot of the things pushed around. And I would see a lot of the pharmaceutical reps coming into the offices and they're trying to push medication down the doctor's throats. It, it just disheartened me at the time because I'm looking at these people and I'm like, 
a lot of these things I feel can be preventive. And yet there's so many doctors that are more on the, the treatment, like, okay, how do we, how do we treat this symptom with, without getting to the root cause of, of the problem? And like you, I take a very holistic approach on, there's so many ways that you can heal your body. Medicine has its place, but I feel like it's, that's the last resort because I see so many people who are in their older years and they've been on medication for whole, their whole entire life and now they have kidney and liver damage and you're just like, when you need the medication the most, you can't take the medication because your body is right. so damaged from taking it for so many different years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think too that that's, you know, there's a lot of talk about physicians burning out in medical practice. And, and one of the things that I've realized that that's probably a big reason why, because the, uh, the toolbox, you know, that the resources that most physicians have available to them are very minimal. It's really primarily pharmaceutical based. And in the end, a lot of times we're not actually getting to the root of the problem. We're helping to minimize symptoms but mm-hmm. never actually fixing the problem. So I think a lot of doctors are feeling burned out. And after, you know, maybe a decade in practice or a couple decades, even they, they start asking themselves, have I really helped patients? Have I really cured anything? Have I really helped patients fix the, the root cause? In many cases we have not. And, and I think doctors are getting frustrated, but taking a natural, more, more alternative approach uh, focusing on nutrition, lifestyle changes, which unfortunately is not really taught to us while we're in um, uh, medical school. But, but taking that approach has been very refreshing to myself because having patients come back and, and literally, you know, not only having better control of perhaps their um, hormones, their blood pressure, uh, you know, for men, their testosterone levels are going up without testosterone. For women, their hot flashes are uh, being minimized without use of medication. And to actually see them, um, you know, feel in many cases 20, 15 years younger because they made these changes, it's very refreshing. And it, it really kind of provides me, and providers such as myself, and even uh, the way you practice and work with clients, it kind of really just makes us want to keep going because we really feel like we're making progress. Exactly. And I love the fact that you touched base that our medical school um, nutrition is not really um, a huge topic that is being presented. Can you tell me? From, from what you remember, um, how many hours do you think that you had um, talking about nutrition during your whole time that you were going to medical school? Uh, yeah, that, that's a great question. And uh, now I went to medical, I graduated again from med school in 2002. And I think very little has changed, at least for the most part, but we probably had maybe six to 12 hours of, of nutrition. And, and even then, you know, the term nutrition is used very uh very uh, non-specifically, we would, for example, learn and memorize that one needed, uh, you know, 60 milligrams of vitamin C to prevent scurvy, or one might need 50 to 100 international units of vitamin D to prevent rickets. It was really um, the more severe deficiencies, but then it was kind of all followed with, however, these are rare in the United States. No one is nutritionally deficient. Every, you know, we all have adequate nutrition. And so in the end, we were just kind of left thinking like, okay, well, this is not really a big issue here in the United States and many places of the world, because you know, obviously most of us have extra weight on us. So it was assumed that we were overnourished and, and not undernourished. But, but as it turns out, most people who perhaps have extra weight on them are actually deficient in many vitamins and minerals, even though they are carrying around extra weight. That's not a good marker of, uh, of nourishment. Exactly. And, and I love that you touched based on it. It was, I, I've heard from so many doctors that it's pretty much under 20 hours. And when I talk to a lot of my mm-hmm. clients about that, especially I have a lot of clients that um, I work with in person that are going through bariatric surgery. And I'm like, okay, the doctors sound like, well, get on a, you know, start eating healthy. I'm like, well, they don't even know what that means. I mean, they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't get to this point mm-hmm. in their life if they knew what eating healthy meant. <laughs> Um, and it's right. big information. So every time I talk to them and I'm like, okay, well, what did your doctor say? Oh, well, just to eat healthier. And I'm like, well, have you asked them exactly what? And it's like, no, they don't really know. I'm like, yeah, because they had probably less than 20 hours of training in nutrition where I've studied 200 plus hours and still, <laughs> still studying. I was talking to someone right. today, like, well, what are you going to school for? I'm like two years of my graduate practitioner program. And then I'm, you know, even though I have a hormonal health coaching um, background, I'm taking another course in this and I'm taking this. I'm like, I'm always learning more and more things because it's so much new information out there. 
and a lot of it's trial and error and seeing what works for you and works works for your individual clients. Um, but it does it does um, frustrate mm -hmm. that in the medical practices they don't touch base on something more than just you know twenty hours of nutritional because everything stems from how you how you feed your body, how you digest your food, and how you're able right. to stimulate that food and, and turn it into nutrients. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've, it's funny, too, because I, I have a medical students who rotate with me. Um, I have nurse practitioner students, physician assistant students, and I've even asked many of my colleagues what percentage of chronic disease do they think is tied into lifestyle and nutrition. And, and they almost always say 80 to 90 percent of mm -hmm. health conditions are nutritionally related. But then, you know, when I ask them the question, then if that's the case, why is it that we get so little training and we focus so little on that and they kind of you know look somewhat surprised like they've never really thought of that like we've yeah. never really connected the dots and yeah. uh the number one cause of health problems and and we know almost nothing about how to reverse that through diet you know how to prevent it through diet and lifestyle it's yeah. very sad exactly and that's what i like about how you're integrating the two together into practice my hope is that you see a lot more doctor's offices that are giving people alternatives and just like prescriptions and uh, procedures mm -hmm. and saying, here's an alternative way, try this first. If this doesn't work, then we can come back and talk about, you know, maybe getting you on a medication or doing a procedure. And even as we were talking about, um, we'll be talking about a little bit more today with PCOS, a lot of the clients I've had who had uh, hormonal issues, they were given either birth controls um, pills, which one of my friends uh, was just told that, you know, you can get on birth control pills. And she's like, well, I'm trying to conceive a child. So that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, to be on birth control pills when I'm trying to conceive a child. Um, or, right. or I've had a, a, quite a few ladies that are in their, you know, and they said that I've had a hysterectomy because I was either told, I tried the birth control route that didn't work. And the next thing was to get a hysterectomy. And I was like, oh my gosh, you went from one extreme to the next. It's really sad. Yeah. And then they realized like, oh, I could have possibly reversed this naturally. <laughs> And that wasn't even an option given to them at the time. Um, so let's dive into the topic today a little bit. Can you, for those of you who, um, who might be listening and that might not be familiar with PCOS, because I know when I bring it up, people are like, uh, what? <laughs> what is it? Can you dive <laughs> right. a little bit deeper into what it is, what does it stand for, and some symptoms of PCOS? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Sometimes it's called uh, polycystic ovarian disease, uh, but polycystic ovarian syndrome is probably the more common term and is believed to actually affect up to 10% of women uh, between the ages of 16 and 45. And women who have PCOS frequently have higher than usual um, insulin blood levels, and they tend to have uh, carry excess weight as well. And, and not only is it, you know, not only does the elevated insulin, but the extra weight can uh, contribute to a lot of the hormonal imbalances and hormonal changes that occur. Uh, some of the common symptoms can include excessive hair growth in places that it is not wanted, uh, acne, uh, menstrual irregularities, as you mentioned, fertility issues. Um, I've had many patients who uh, would have fatty liver, uh, even male pattern baldness. So what that is, is really, you know, losing where the hair is spinning out in the back of the head or sometimes in the front uh, on the sides of the head, the hair starts to fall out. And this can be very uh, troubling for a lot of women. It's also not uncommon for uh, women with polycystic ovary syndrome to have either prediabetes, um, they also may be at increased risk for some autoimmune diseases as well. So, so really fix, trying to fix the underlying problem, trying to get, you know, woman, a woman's body to heal itself and back in balance can, can really solve a lot of problems that um, women may not have realized that were actually all interconnected. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned, I mean, it's pretty much when you, when you hear all the symptoms of PCOS, it's like, oh my gosh, especially as a woman, it's like, I don't want any of those. You don't want, you know, excess weight gain. No one wants excess weight gain. They don't want to have the excess weight gain around their midsection, losing hair. 
having acne, especially as an adult, like you expect it as a teenager, but not as an adult, can't have conceived children. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't look, feel attractive. Um, I don't feel great. And on top of that, you know, if I'm trying to have kids, I can't even produce um, a child, let alone feel right. even attractive enough to have my libido and sex drive going on because I just feel crappy the whole time. Absolutely. I, I think, too, what I've seen over the years, too, because there are so many symptoms, um, you know, most of these women will go to their primary doctor, maybe their internist or family doctor. And if that physician does not connect the dots, these patients may be referred out to many different specialists. They may go to a dermatologist for the acne. They might go to a um, they may end up going to a fertilization, uh, you know, or gynecologist for the gynecological issues. Uh, I've seen them be referred out because they, they were pre-diabetic or in some cases even diabetic. They were sent out mm -hmm. to an endocrinologist. Uh, if they have fatty liver, they go to a, to a gastroenterologist. And, and like no one ever connects the dots a lot of times. And in reality, these patients are seeing four or five different specialists, completely unnecessary. Because uh, in reality, there was one underlying problem. And if that was addressed, all these other symptoms would have, you know, in many uh -huh. cases, fixed uh -huh. themselves. Exactly. And I like the fact that you said that um, fix itself. And we'll dive that into that in a moment. My question for you is, are there tests out there? Or is there something that um, you mentioned that they can go to all these if they if they don't understand the symptoms and they're now being referred to all these specialists? Is there a test that they can get or they can request from the doctor if they're saying I'm I have these symptoms, you know, instead of me going to five or six different specialists, uh, maybe even talking to the doctor about saying, is there an actual test that, that you would recommend that they would get so they can find out if they actually have PCOS or, or can they test for it or anything like that? Yes, absolutely. So, so a lot of the symptoms that we talked about don't prove that they actually have it. There's testing that can be done. That would, there's some blood tests, for example. So one um, can be tested for, uh, the ratio of two hormones called LH and FSH. That stands for the LH stands for luteinizing hormone, and FSH is follicular stimulating hormone. So generally, in women who have um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, they will have an LH to FSH ratio of at least two, and maybe even three to one, meaning that their LH levels are you know two to three times higher than their FSH level. A um, blood testosterone level will also be elevated. Now, now it's important to say all, all women have testosterone, all women have estrogen, but generally the estrogen level is higher than the testosterone. Likewise, men also have estrogen and testosterone, but our ratios of testosterone is higher than estrogen. Um, but in women with um, polycystic ovary disease, they still have um, higher estrogen levels than testosterone, but that testosterone level starts to climb up um, sometimes two or three times higher than normal. And that's one of the reasons these women will end up with some of the hair loss and um, acne. Mm. And also, yeah, and also they can, um, a woman could have a um, ultrasound, a, a pelvic ultrasound, which may or may not actually show cyst. So, so just because a, uh, a woman might have a lot of these symptoms or blood tests that are consistent with polycystic ovary syndrome, they do not necessarily have to have cysts on their ovaries, although they are frequently there uh, during this um, when polycystic ovary syndrome is present. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that because I've had um, a client who was diagnosed years ago. I mean, she was on birth control pills for about 15 years with um, PCOS from one of her gynecologists, and they never did. I asked him, like, have you ever mm -hmm. tested, have any blood work done? Um, to find out about your hormonal balances. Have you had an ultrasound done? And she was like, no, they just put me on birth control pills for 15 years and told me these mm, are wow. And she went to go see a new gynecologist and they're like, there's, they ran testing. It was like, there's nothing that shows that you've had this. Like, yes, you've had some hormonal imbalances, but there's nothing that shows right. that you have PCOS. And I'm like, you've been pretty much pushed around on five different birth control pills for the last 15 years and diagnosed something wow. you don't even have. It was really, oh, really sad. And she didn't even realize that there was um, testing that could be done. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, go get tested, please, now. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that's definitely important to do. Yeah, And, and sometimes, too, um, women may have an elevated uh, hemoglobin A1C, which is a test that uh, indicates the um, average blood sugar levels have been high. So this also contributes to uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, prediabetes. 
That's good. And uh, another thing, just I would say, is advocate. If you feel something's out of whack when it comes to your hormones, you know your body really well. Please advocate to get tested. I, the first time when, when I realized I had hormonal balances, I went to a gynecologist and I advocated to get tested. And she just looked at me like I was crazy, told me to get back on birth control pills. And uh, she was like, I'll see you later on because you really don't have any issues. But here's some pamphlets. And I'm like, I will never see you again because you didn't listen to me. Right. I asked to be tested. Yeah. Like, I'm not just going to take a medication without knowing what the symptoms are. And I tell you, I'm very holistic. And you roll your eyes at me. Like, apparently, you're not mm. even giving me out. So this is uh, yeah. the, no need to carry this yeah. uh, relationship on any longer. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, well, you'd be surprised. Uh, it's not uncommon that I'll have patients. And, and my staff is always wondering, like, why did these patients come to you? Because they have gynecological issues, maybe thyroid issues, or even uh, leaky gut or gastrointestinal issues, and they've seen specialists, and they did not get better, or they didn't like the approach, for example, uh, in your case, that the specialist took. So now they're coming to myself, a physician who's more open to an to a integrative approach, and the patients frequently are, are quite you know, frustrated when they come to me. And and then we get them on a program and, and they actually improve and, uh, and they come back and they say, you know, I've, I've gone to three or four different gynecologists or I've gone to three or four uh, skin doctors over the years for my rashes and, uh, and then none of them ever got me better. However, the recommendations or dietary you know, suggestions that you made, I implemented them and all of a sudden my, my symptoms and my condition reversed itself. Patients definitely need to be their own advocates and they, they don't like the answer. They definitely should seek someone else who... Uh, might be more open to uh, to their issues and help them. Yes, that's some of the best advice I definitely would say is you know seek other seek other opinions and you know your body so well. So if something is out of whack, when I first noticed that, I mean, my last symptom I had multiple symptoms. Now I look back at it for hormonal imbalance, but the last thing that I realized was I had breast tenderness, and I've never <laughs> had that ever before. I thought mm -hmm. I was actually pregnant at one point. I was like, oh my gosh. Maybe I'm pregnant. I should probably take take a birth control. Right. I should probably take a, a pregnancy test. And um, it happened for like ten days for two months pri um, prior to my cycle. So ten days before my cycle hit. And when I went to go to the doctor, she's like, "Oh, that's the gynecologist I went to go see, who didn't do any testing." She's like, "That's normal." I'm like, "Not for me." Like I've right. 34 years of my life and I never experienced this before. This is not a normal symptom for me. It could be for somebody else, but it's not a normal symptom for me. And she's like, oh yeah, right. it'll work its way out. I'm like, uh, that's not the answer I wanted. <laughs> I want right. to know what's causing it in the first place. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, and it's not that the doctors are, are bad doctors. I'm sure they, they do a good job in what they yes. do, but, but this again was not the way that we are trained. So, so those, you know, physicians such as myself and some of the other integrated, you know, a lot of the other integrated doctors out there, we had to go out of our way to learn this other information because it was left out of our medical training and mm -hmm. patients such as you who again are, are advocates for yourself you, you know i mean we all have access now to the same information uh you know because of the internet and, and sometimes it can be hard to to decipher through everything from fact from fiction but but again finding a, a physician that you can take information to and ask them questions about to try to see if this is you know what's real or what's not and you know and especially because there's a lot of good scientific studies out there now regarding integrative and natural approaches to common health issues but unfortunately they're not in the main uh medical journals that most physicians are reading they're in more of the alternative journals so exactly exactly now you mentioned that pcos um do you, in your opinion do you think that pcos can be reversed and treated naturally absolutely Absolutely, it can be it can be reversed. It can be treated, and um, and you know a big again a big part of that. And this is without medicines we're talking. It can be reversed and treated without medications. And a big part of it comes back to to lifestyle and uh, and dietary changes. One of the things that we've learned, and and I think you've uh, I think you're familiar with the Dr. Jason Fung who wrote the Obesity Code. Uh, perhaps he's one of the big advocates of intermittent fasting and, yes. uh, and the ketogenic, yeah, the ketogenic diet. And, and one of the big problems I think that we're starting to realize there's going to, you know, cause a lot of these are, these conditions are related. So polycystic ovary syndrome and diabetes have a lot in common in the sense that in both states, most people have what's called insulin resistance. 
And this is where our body is producing excessive insulin uh, in a re- as a result of the diet, you know, the, the so-called standard American diet or the SAD diet. Our body is producing excess insulin because as a population, we're consuming too many simple carbohydrates, too many simple uh, too many uh, simple uh, or too many sugars, too many processed foods, and this is causing our hormone imbalance. It's causing us to um, secrete excessive insulin, which is raising testosterone levels, which is making us pre-diabetic, which is causing us to put on extra fat on the body. And, and for women, this is important too, because women who are carrying extra extra weight on them, this fat tissue is biologically active. It secretes estrogen. And basically that estrogen is throwing off the menstrual cycle because the body is not having its normal, you know, it's having a constant, uh, you know, supply of estrogen being uh, flooded into the bloodstream and that's throwing off the period. So, so really by trying to address insulin resistance and reducing simple carbohydrates and sugars, that's the first step, in my opinion, to help with um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Ah, yes, definitely. And what is your opinion when it comes to um, dairy products, if someone is dealing with any of these hormonal imbalances, especially PCOS? Yeah, I I think, you know, like anything, uh, you know, in moderation. However, a a lot of the, um, you know, for example, milk and cheeses out there are just flooded with hormones. So I think if one's going to be consuming milk and, you know, cheeses, if you can get more grass-fed, hormone-free, uh, butters and milks and, and cheeses, that's a, you know, that's probably the best option. Uh, but again, I think anything in moderation and, and nothing in excess. Yes. Um, but I think that's probably contributing to it overall because we, we're definitely are consuming way too many hormones and a lot of that's coming through our food supply. Yes, definitely. For sure. Definitely. I, I definitely agree on, on that one. So my next question is what, uh, what would you recommend to reverse the symptoms of PCOS, uh, whether they are lifestyle recommendations, whether they are nutritional recommendations, supplementations, what protocols would you recommend for someone who is battling with PCOS to reverse that, the symptoms? And okay. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great question. And lifestyle changes are definitely uh, first and foremost, the things that should, uh, should be done first. So, so this would include uh, weight loss. So um, one striving to achieve their optimal weight can definitely help improve hormone balance. And, and for many people, this can be done using uh, or consuming either a paleo diet or a ketogenic diet or even a Mediterranean diet, which all tend to have one unifying theme in that they are low on uh, sugars and low in simple carbohydrates. So that's going to be extremely important. Yes, and also um, high, in, high in fats, so higher in fats, too. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and exercise uh, also plays an important role in helping to improve overall metabolism and hormone balance. So I would suggest at least uh, 30 minutes of moderate exercise uh, at least five times per week. So that would be very uh, important also. Uh, and optimizing gut health uh, mm, is important. Yes. Right. Too, too many people have taken, uh, you know, needless antibiotics over the years, and that can have a, a lasting effect on the gut. So, so making sure one is not only eating cultured foods, probiotic foods, but even a, a probiotic supplement could be helpful. Yes, I fully agree on that. And I tell a lot of my um, clients, I'm like, first and foremost, we need to um, support the gut. You know, we need to support the liver, the adrenals, and then we can start working on everything else that goes along with that. My, uh, I like the fact that you talked about those different types of diet, the paleo, the Mediterranean, and the ketogenic, um, because they do contain um, healthy fats. And I know there has been so much misinformation in regards to fats, where a lot of ladies that I work with, they're like, well, fats is going to make you fat, because there was that huge campaign of like, don't, don't do butter, do margarine, and go full fat diet, and all the other kind of stuff. So can you explain from um, your perspective why fats are, or why you recommend those diets, and why you think that fats are important, and the types of fats? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's interesting when you, when you, when you, we look back over the last 30 years, there's been a low fat dietary craze really that started in the nineties. Um, and even up into the current time, you know, everybody wants low fat, this low fat, that, but what people don't realize when you look at foods that have been manipulated to be low fat, they have to increase and, you know, have to have an increase in something and that increases actually in carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you look, you know, people all over the world, you know, and America included, over the last 30 years, we've consumed a lot more low-fat foods than ever in human history, and yet we are fatter and fatter, heavier and heavier, and have a lot more metabolic disease and disorders. Um, so, so the low-fat uh, craze, is, if anything, is actually making us fatter. And, um, and what we realized is, is really carbohydrates, simple carbohydrates and sugars is what makes us fat. Is, is what makes us fat. I tell patients, you know, it's really ironic. You know, patients think if I eat low cholesterol food, my cholesterol will go down. Or if I eat low fat food, I'll lose weight. In, in reality, the carbohydrates are being, our, our body is turning carbohydrates into fat. Our body is turning carbohydrates into cholesterol and the carbohydrate is what's really kind of the root of the problem here. And uh, making sure we're getting healthy fats is very important, whether it comes from avocados, nuts, seeds, and even butter, uh, you know, in moderation, uh, really does not have the negative health uh, effects that many people assume. Thank you. I definitely appreciate that because I have told numerous people, family members, um, clients, so many people about the fact that it's more like your two energy sources are either going to come from fat or come from carbohydrates. And, you know, you really want, if you want to lose weight, you want your body to get used to burning that excess fat. But unfortunately, the excess insulin is going to turn into fat if you're not utilizing it. And they're like, well, I was told not to have, you know, I need to reduce my cholesterol and I need to do all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, but eating a bagel is not getting you there at right. all. Right. <laughs> eating yeah. that pastry Absolutely. or that piece of bread is not getting you there at all. I mean, you're better off having the egg with the avocado on it inside the vegetables and you're eating whatever the right. other thing is. And I'm like, I don't care if it says low fat on it all day long. Like, I love it when, um, I like gummy bears, but I love how gummy bears are like non-fat. I'm like, well, no crap. Cause there's no, there's, there's no actual like, fat content in it, but it's going to turn into fat. Like yeah. I know that if I eat the pound of gummy bears that I really, really am craving right now, cause I have a sweet tooth, it's going to turn into fat. Right. <laughs> like it's not just going to be like, Oh Absolutely. yeah, it's going to dissipate and I'm never going to gain weight. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, and there's some thought too that, that fat, the only time eating fat might be a problem is when we're eating a high carbohydrate diet. So, so fat by itself, a high fat diet and low carbs is not harmful. Uh, but, but if you're eating, perhaps if you're eating fat with a high carbohydrate, the carbohydrate and the insulin response that it elicits might actually cause you know some of the problems that that make people think that the fat is actually the problem so it's actually the carbohydrate yes and that's a hard one for a lot of people because like you said we're in a society where we have increased our carbohydrates so much Mm. that that's when i tell people like let's do no sugar or like low sugar or and no carbs and they're like you're killing me (laughs) like you're (laughs) like that's gonna be so you want no sugar and you want me to have like hardly any carbohydrates and i'm like yes like oh that's going to be hard. I'm like, yes, because they're, they're so addicting. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, it's, it, the food industry has made it that way, so you can consume more and more and more of it. Uh, do you have any supplementations that you um, would recommend, um, any kind of herbs or anything like that, that you would recommend for someone who is battling with PCOS? Absolutely, yeah. So I'll, there's about seven supplements. I'll kind of go through them and uh, awesome. some of the evidence um, that I think can be helpful. So I think the most, one of the most important uh, vitamins actually, uh, you know, four in five people are deficient in this vitamin worldwide, and this is vitamin D. Oh, yes, um, especially here in so, Michigan. We are, right. <laughs> tell everyone, I'm like, if you live in the northern states, you are, and the people are like, I'm vitamin D deficient, I'm like, welcome to the club. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and, and believe it or not, about, about 10 years ago, I wrote a book on vitamin D called Vitamin D Prescription, uh, and um, yeah. And, and it was funny because I'm, I was here in Southern California and I was trying to tell my colleagues and I was saying, Hey, I'm, I've been testing people for vitamin D and we have people that are low here in Southern California. And they looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, and, and it turned out even probably 75 to 80% of people in California were deficient and, and probably even more in Michigan. 
Yes. And, uh, and the big reason is we just don't go outside a lot of times, or if we do, people are, people are so fearful that they, you know, put on the sunscreen and they don't manufacture the vitamin D. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so it's an important one. Uh, you know, there was a 2016 study in the journal of endocrinology and metabolism that showed women with polycystic ovary syndrome were actually 44% less likely to become pregnant if their vitamin D blood level was less than 30. Um, oh, wow. Compared, yeah, compared to those with higher levels. So, so women with PCOS who are trying to get pregnant definitely should consider uh, vitamin D, a very important. Pro- Usually I recommend doses anywhere between uh, 1,000 and 5,000 uh, international units daily. Okay. So. Great. That's, um, I didn't even know, that's very interesting to know that um, the vitamin D de- deficiency is really causing the hard time for people to become pregnant because I have quite a few clients that are um, looking to, to um, get pregnant. So that's very helpful for me. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the second uh, supplement that I would recommend to is chromium, a chromium picolinate. Okay. Uh, and it plays a very important role in a um, in an enzyme called the glucose tolerance factor, and this uh, enzyme helps the body to optimize uh, insulin function and overall glucose control. And when I was you know researching polycystic ovaries, I came across a, a few studies, and there was a 2017 study, for example, that showed uh, supplementation with chromium had um, not only benefits in um, helping to reduce body mass index, but also helped uh, reduce fasting insulin levels, and also help to normalize testosterone levels, right? So those are all obviously very important in, uh, in polycystic yes. ovary syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, uh, and what's your next the, one? The, the third one uh, is NAC or N-acetylcysteine. Okay. And, uh, it, yeah, and this is a, it's a precursor to glutathione. Uh, which is super important for our body to uh, be able to detoxify, you know, for our liver to detoxify itself. Um, and, and I found a study on that where it basically said that um, it was a 2015 meta-analysis, right, in, in obstetrics and gynecology. And it showed that women with PCOS who were given N-acetylcysteine were more likely to ovulate, more likely to become pregnant, and more likely to deliver a baby compared to women who were given a placebo pill. And there was no negative uh, side effects seen uh, as a result of the N-acetylcysteine. So, and, that, and that's usually given probably at a dose of about 600 milligrams uh, to, you know, at least twice a day it would be sufficient. Okay. Uh, let's see, what other supplements here would I recommend? Uh, L-carnitine is another one. It's an amino acid, really. Uh, that's been shown to be helpful. Uh, coenzyme Q10 has been shown mm-hmm. uh, to be to be helpful as well. Um, I had come across a study, uh, a 2017 study on that one, in uh, clinical endocrinology, and they uh, used about 100 milligrams of coenzyme Q10 and they compared it to a placebo. And then uh, the results showed that those who took the coenzyme Q10 had a, a reduction of their blood sugar and insulin levels. Again, both of which are normally elevated in PCOS. So, so trying to reduce blood sugar and insulin is going to be a real important goal for those uh, with um, PCOS. And obviously, diet is the most important way to reduce insulin and glucose levels, but uh, CoQ10 could, could be an additional uh, substance that can help. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember it was um, like it became popular. Um, I remember a couple of commercials became popular a couple of years ago, and then it seems like you haven't heard as much on, I guess, commercials in regards to COVID-19, um, right. but I remember definitely it was a couple of years ago where there was a lot of commercials where it's like, oh, it makes you feel happy and it helps you with this and da 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 And then when I see it in the stores, I'm like, why don't I see those commercials any longer? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Uh, and then the, la- the last one, or maybe last two even, basically are omega-3 fatty acids, super mm-hmm. important. Yes. Right. And, uh, and these obviously can be taken, uh, you know, consumed in a diet as well. So, yes. you know, whether one's eating fish, uh, walnuts, chia seeds, hemp seeds, uh, avocado, flax seeds. Um, so, so that plays an important role in uh, helping to reduce insulin levels in women and uh, reducing insulin resistance. And even selenium uh, could be helpful as well. So, so is selenium your last yeah. one or is it the omega-3? Uh, yeah, so selenium would be the last one that okay. I would uh, recommend. So, 
And, uh, and th that can be a lot of times even found in a, in a multivitamin. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some, multi some good quality multivitamins will have the selenium. Uh, I usually recommend a dose of 200 micrograms daily selenium. Are there certain brands of, um, of these? And, and I know some people are probably thinking, oh my gosh, I'm now taking, you know, seven, yeah. seven supplements a day. Right. Are there anything that you found that has combined a couple of these together or um, are brands that, that really stand out for you? Uh, not really. You know, I'll be honest. I'm not, there's not really specific brands that I usually uh, recommend or promote. I usually will have my patients go to their local uh, nutrition store and uh, simply just, yeah, just read the labels really too. You know, usually the, uh, the ones that I usually try to recommend against are going to be the vitamins such as Centrum and the ones, you know, those are actually made by pharmaceutical companies, um, Centrum, but I usually recommend, you know, more independent brands and exactly. local health food stores. And, and people really just need to read the labels because I have patients a lot of times will say, Oh, my multivitamin has you know, vitamin D in it. So therefore I don't need vitamin D. But when you look at the label, the multivitamin might only have 500 international units or a hundred international units. In reality, they need 5,000 units. Yes, so. exactly. So I talk, please read the label and anything that has a label, please read the label uh, because don't take the face value of any, anything, whether it's a food item, whether it's a supplement, like please turn over and educate yourself. <laughs> Um, and I find Absolutely. that the pharmacists have always, when, especially when it comes to um, supplementation, I always ask the pharmacists if they're available to educate me a little bit further. Uh, I know recently I was taking uh, melatonin for an overnight, a long trip to Germany, and I'm going to be probably taking it again mm -hmm. on a long stay um, um, right. back from, um, from a trip I'm having in uh, Mexico pretty soon. And I never take, taken it before, mainly because I've always been a very big on magnesium and not taking melatonin unless... Like I said, that's never really needed a reason why. Um, but I was right. looking around, I'm like, with all these options that I have, you know, I know what melatonin does. I don't want it to become habit for me, nor do I need to really be knocked out and, and drowsy all day. You know, which doses should I recommend? I simply just asked the pharmacist uh, because I'd rather do that than to go into good old Dr. Google and have 15 different uh, recommendations and still be confused. Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. Melatonin actually can also help. Uh, and maybe that's where you're taking with, uh, with jet lag, prevention of jet lag as yes. well. Yeah. And that was the main reason. Yeah. As I knew I had to, um, we had to go to sleep at 6 p.m. on an airplane, which is not a typical time that I would go to sleep. And <laughs> we were going to arrive in Austria at like 9 a.m. So I had to sleep for the eight hour flight that was over there. And I'm like, that's not my typical sleeping hours is not at 6 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, same thing on right. the way I did a trip to Hawaii. There's a couple of times when I do these really crazy trips uh, and where I'm forced to sleep on the airplane because as soon as I get off the airplane, it's morning time wherever the other place is and it's go, go, go. So um, for those reasons, that's the reason why I looked into it. Otherwise, I'm like, I'm good with my uh, magnesium and that typically helps me fall asleep <laughs> at night and helps me with a whole bunch of other issues too. <laughs> but I think... Uh, over, yeah, I think overall, you know, it, it, you know, it's kind of some things up here too. I think, you know, diet and lifestyle exercises are super important and it's important that, you know, people use that as first line therapy and not, and not rely on, um, you know, only supplements or not only rely on medications. And, and we didn't even touch upon the medications, but, you know, and sometimes the medications are necessary too. So I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, to discount that, um, you know, a lot of times doctors will prescribe uh, metformin, uh, which helps lower insulin resistance, and uh, and uh, clomiphene uh, or clomid can help uh, women ovulate and and so on. And like you mentioned earlier, um, contraceptives. But again, if you're trying to get pregnant, a contraception uh, it might regulate your period, but it's not going to help you get pregnant. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But um, but again, I think generally, if those can be taken uh, only as a last resort because lifestyle changes were not sufficient, the supplements were not sufficient, then those medications can also be very helpful. But but I think whenever there's an underlying uh, disturbance in one's body, uh, trying to restore balance is, is first and foremost uh, should be the goal. Now, have you seen with any of your patients that are battling with um, PCOS for them to be able to go? And I know the, one of the big issues of a lot of my um, clients and why they even start working with me in the first place is because they are, again, trying to, at the age of they're trying to get pregnant. Um, they've had many miscarriages or stillborns where, you know, they weren't able to go for the whole duration of the pregnancy. With these recommendations and working with a, um, a doctor like yourself and a nutritionist like myself, have you seen 
ladies who have been able to go full term and um, have a child without any kind of major complications. Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely have. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, and looking back to diet really played probably, probably one of the biggest roles where basically uh, patients were reducing their, uh, their carbohydrate intake so that um, they could lower the insulin levels and that helped the, you know, the baby to grow and, and not be too big and help prevent the diabetes, which, you know, is also, uh, you know, women with PCOS are at increased risk for uh, gestational diabetes. So, so really just, you know, reducing the sugar intake, the carb levels and, 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 um, and taking these supplements were really helpful. Absolutely. That's, that's great. Because a lot of ladies out there that's listening to this hope that, you know, once they um, get on the track of really healing their body, then they are able to, you know, see the results. They are able to reverse the symptoms and actually have a healthy pregnancy without the complications. I know I never had kids myself, but I definitely have heard many times of my clients who have said, like, you know, it's so hard to be able to go throughout the whole process and your child doesn't survive um, or miscarriage over and over and over again and having to keep on trying with, um, it's just devastating for them. Um, and on top of that, with all the other complications with meal pattern baldness, you know, overweight, <clears throat> with diabetes, it's just one thing after the other. And it, it makes them feel somewhat less than, um, less than their full potential. Um, or they feel like they're not really, uh, the woman that they've always wanted to be because of this, uh, diagnosis of PCOS. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, it can definitely be, uh, liberating when they kind of get that balance back and uh and kind of end up having the life that they want exactly exactly other um and i definitely would love um to get the link for your uh, book that you have on the vitamin d prescription where would people be able to pick that up if, if they're interested in learning yeah. more about that yeah they can find it on amazon.com uh they could just search my name eric madrid and uh and the book talks about um not only things like, you know, PCOS, but also, you know, vitamin D is important and preventing other, uh, other chronic conditions and, and disease states, you know, from blood pressure to heart disease to cancer as well. So. Awesome. And then um, if you could share with the audience um, some of the links um, when we get off of this, if you can just send me over some of those links to some of those studies, um, I would love to be able to link them into the show notes so that people are able to take a look at them and read a little bit more about the different um, the different supplements that you recommended in the studies around that. Because I know a lot of my listening audience loves to take a little bit d deeper dive into it and do their own research um, on it also. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely forward those to you. Great. And then how are they able to find out more about you? Um, I know you have a podcast, um, but how are they able to reach out to you if they're interested in finding a little bit more or taking a little bit deeper dive or have any other further questions that they would like to pose to you? Yeah, so they can reach me. You know, I have a, a Facebook page. Uh, just search Eric Madrid MD. I'm also on uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, the same Eric Madrid MD. And uh, I can be sent messages that way. That's probably the, the best way to get in contact with me. Awesome. That sounds great. And I would love to have you back on again to talk a little bit about gut health, if that's something that interests you, because that's, I love it. And um, even my, <laughs> my business partner, Julie, she's my gut health expert. She could sit there, her and I could sit there and talk about gut health and weird things like bodily functions <laughs> all day long. No, that, um, that, that would be great. Yeah, le leaky gut, that's definitely something that I... Yes. That yes. I uh, enjoy and, uh, you know, patients who uh, have a lot of other health problems seem to all have leaky gut at the bottom of the, or, you know, at the, you know, uh, probably the cause of most of the problems. And I, and I uh, frequently will take that approach and say, hey, let's fix your gut first. And then all of a sudden, everything else seems to get better when their gut gets uh, that That is the approach that I, that I work on. So all of our programs are very focused on healing the gut first. When people have come to me, whether it is dealing with, you know, infertility issues, whether it's dealing with diabetes, um, like inflammation, um, especially anyone that's dealing with any kind of immune issues. Um, I always talk about that. I have another person dealing with a lot of toxicity with um, mold. And I'm like, you got to get that gut right. Because no matter what else, if we are trying to put anything and add something into your life, and you're not absorbing the nutrients properly, it's you're just wasting your time and your money at that point. Um, so healing right. is key to everything. And my 
husband is probably listening to us, rolling his eyes like, you always say that it's all about the gut. It's always about the gut. I'm like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to know it, that. It really is. Yes, it is. It's about the gut. Uh, I, I always tell my patients, uh, Hippocrates uh, said 2,300 years ago, all disease begins in the gut. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It's, and my husband's like, it's, he's like, you always talk about every time I'm getting sick and every time it's this and that, it's about the gut. I'm like, well, apparently, uh, <laughs> apparently uh, you're your gut. <laughs> so Yeah. Us husbands hate it when our wife is always right. <laughs> yes. Yes. I guess that's a, that's a typical thing. Uh, he'll, he'll talk to the doctor before he talks to me any day of the week and then his doctor says the same thing that I do. And I'm like, I just told you that. <laughs> but right. Do what you want. Sure. Yep. Well, great. Well, it was definitely a pleasure having you on the show, and we will have to schedule you again. Um, I'll reach out to Julie, yeah. and maybe we can do the three of us talk about gut, because that, that's going to be a, an extensive talk, I know. It would probably be a good hour <laughs> of us <just laughs> right. talking about random might be two, about the it gut. It might be two episodes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah, because I was telling her the other day, I was like, you know, you're into this stuff when you are like listening to an audiobook and they're like knee deep and talking about your bowel movements and candida in the gut. I'm like, <laughs> and you're in the middle of a workout, like you know that you're knee deep and stuff, and that's what you that's what you work out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, you're not. You're definitely not the only one. There's, there's quite a few people out there, and I love it that it's becoming more popular because I actually went to a networking group recently and someone. When I mentioned that I work with a lot of hormonal health and gut health stuff, they're like, oh, yeah, the microbiome. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you actually know what that is? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I know it. I'm like, but you actually like, heard it before. I love that fact that you've actually heard it before. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So it's awesome. Well, thank you again for joining me on today's show. And we will have you back for another time to talk about gut health issues. I look forward to that. Thank you. Yes. You have a great day. Bye. You, you too. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the Love Your Life podcast. All information and links for this podcast can be found in the show notes. If you like this episode and want to continue the conversation, you can email me at info at fitnesswellnesslife.com. And for more information to living a life you love, follow me on Instagram at fwl underscore Steph and on Facebook at Fitness Wellness Life. As always, you can schedule a free 30-minute call with me by going to www.fitnesswellnesslife.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in next week for another inspiring episode.